if you have scripture and you want to turn with us, as we just heard, we'll be in John 13. And uh, honestly, can't believe that y'all are letting me do this again. But we'll, we'll do what we can. Um, I'd like to pray. Father, it, it's an incredible time when we have opportunity to meet together. And we have opportunity to open your word inspired and without error, holy. Lord, it's an, it's an awesome gift that you've given us. A way that you've revealed yourself to us that is uh, beyond what we can even imagine. And Lord, in these next few minutes, we're going to gather together in this passage. We're going to gather together around the name of Jesus. And Lord, I would pray, first off, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, I, I know that people walk into a room like this coming from a lot of different places. Some have had an amazing weekend of celebration and maybe good news and enjoyment. Some have walked through some dark valleys in the last few days. Some are dealing with illness and some are dealing with difficult circumstances. And Lord, it's just, it, it, it's, it's just a different mindset for everybody who walks in these doors this morning. And yet your word speaks to it all. Your word is greater than it all. And your word can change us. And so, Lord, I pray that people who hear your word this morning would open their heart and invite you to change them. And then, Lord, I pray that you would make me useful. Um, Father, that the things you want to communicate would come easily to mind and be communicated well. And Father, I pray that your spirit will simply have his way in this meeting this morning, in this time of worship together this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, John 13 is such a powerful account of what's going on in the life of Jesus. And uh, it, it opens in this upper room. Um, and what we're going to see this morning is this amazing picture of what the kingdom of God is all about. And so before we can really jump into what what's going on in the room, I just want to kind of walk back and get some context, uh, you know, the backstory of what's going on, because it's really important to what actually happens in this room. And along the way, um, there'll be a couple main points. We, you know, last time we talked about that, some of you are, you know, picky about that. So we'll have a couple of big ideas that, that you can write down, and uh, even some things that you know to consider underneath that. 
But Jesus comes on the picture here in John chapter 1 where the writer says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then he just began to change the world, to rock the world. He, he shows up at a wedding in Cana and, and, and he completely, you know, changes that. And then he upends the life of a woman at a well in Samaria and he heals the sick and he heals the blind and he feeds thousands of people. He preaches a sermon that drives away so many of his so-called disciples that it's almost unfathomable to us. And then he brings a dead guy back to life. So there's so much that has gone on and is going on leading up to this upper room in Jerusalem where Jesus is spending what is going to turn out to be the last few hours of his life with his disciples. And it leads us around this table. And Jesus is there with his guys. Now, when we think about the table, again, just getting some context, the table would have been certainly different than your kitchen table because it would have sat low and people would have sat on the floor around it. uh, And... uh, and that's how they would have enjoyed their, their meal and their time together. But the table has always been a kind of a central element in the story of God. And I don't think it's accidental that God has done this. That he's intentionally placed a table at the center of his story. Because the table is so important. And particularly in the day of Jesus. You know, we live in a fast-paced society and culture where the table's going away. Right? It's just disappearing, okay? Everybody's so crazy going every different direction. So, so maybe we have the kitchen bar. We sit at the kitchen bar because we're in a hurry. We throw the food out, we eat, we get out the door, all right? And then for some of us, the kitchen bar's even gone and we're just at the drive-thru every day, right? And, and it's kind of going away, but, you know, there used to be a time where there was a table, you know, and dad came home from work and mom had been cooking a meal and the kids were there and... And, and dad came in the door and the kids jumped on him and, you know, and then they sat down around the table and they talked about their day, you know, very uh, kind of Norman Rockwell like. Right. And and all of that is just kind of going away. You know, I, I, I didn't have that growing up either. My life was very fragmented. Both of my parents worked and my brother and sister had their schedule and I had my schedule growing up. And all these different activities. And I was really jealous of these people that could sit around the table like that. But the reason it matters is because a table is where life happens. It's where community is forged. And probably half of what's wrong with America today is that there aren't any more tables. And there aren't families together sitting around their table I mean, I think it'd be awesome if we could recapture that, but it's probably not coming back. And in the big moments of Jesus' life and ministry, there were a lot of tables. Okay? They didn't have TV trays. Which, by the way, just the name of that tells you it's like the worst thing ever invented. Okay? It didn't happen. The big moments were table moments. I mean, think about it. 
Remember Jesus reclining at a table and a woman breaks in and washes his feet with her hair? Or the moment where he's invited a tax collector to share a meal and they go to his house and sit at his table? Why? Because community is fostered there. Stories are exchanged. Laughter happens. Life comes together. Lingering takes place. That's why we love our life groups around here. Because we sit around those tables and we share life. And we exchange what's going on, including our burdens, our hopes, and our dreams. And it's a picture of the church. That it's a place where we can lean on one another. Where we can encourage one another. Where we can shape one another and serve one another. And that's what I want to think about this morning. I want us to think about coming through these doors as brothers and sisters. As sons and daughters. As a family. And we're coming together with this mentality that God has invited us to come to his table. And to sit at the table with him. To sit at God's table. For you to take your place in a seat at God's table. And to know that he is seated at the table with you. Do you remember that show, 24? And, you know, it's a, it's a little dated. Uh, that Jack Bauer was one bad dude, wasn't he? Okay. I mean, that guy, the, the show was kind of ridiculous. But um, if you remember, the premise was that there were 24 shows and each show covered an hour of events. And so there was a clock. And every time the clock was on the screen all the time, and every time you went to commercial, it showed it. Yeah. And so the idea was that something was going to happen and the clock would count down, right? Now, it, it got a little ridiculous because, like, in hour 12, he would get shot in the head and be blind. And while it was two shows later, it was really two hours later. You know, he's back chasing people through an alley and kickboxing them and all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, it was kind of ridiculous. But the idea behind the show was with that clock, there was all this tension, right? It created this tension that time is running out. Time is running out. And as we come to this upper room in John chapter 13... You know, Jesus is roughly about 24 hours from his death. I mean, if we were watching this on TV, there'd be that little clock, right? If you jump into chapter 13 and you read it, 14, 15, 16, all the way through, you can just see this clock ticking down. And the tension factor going up. Now, for the guys at the table with him, I don't know if there was any tension Okay, because he's sitting there, sitting there with the disciples, right? And I honestly think as I read through the the passage, the definition of disciple was, we don't know what's going on. Like, always seem to be clueless. Okay, they're not feeling the tension and they're not feeling stressed out. Because as you read those chapters, they keep asking these questions like, what are you talking about, Jesus? What do you mean you're going to die? Right? I mean, they just didn't get it. They were clueless. So they're pretty stress-free. Ignorance really is bliss. But Jesus, 
Jesus knew what was going on. He knew he was getting close to those four zeros. And that the four zeros, when the clock expired, meant that he was going to be dead. So I want you to imagine that. You're at dinner. And you're with your friends. You're sitting around the table together. And you know that in 24 hours, you're going to be gone. You know these are the last 24 hours of your life. It brings some things into perspective, doesn't it? It's going gonna, it's gonna to radically alter how you think about what's important in those next 24 hours, isn't it? And you have this much time to impart to the people around that table the things that you really want seared into their brains. And so what do you want to do? You want to make sure that everybody around that table gets what you think is important. It's their last meal. This is his last meal. And that's kind of what's going through Jesus' mind as we enter into this passage. The other Gospels have chosen to talk about the Lord's Supper. But John goes a different direction and he shows us something really important. So I see two really kind of big themes in this passage that we looked at. And the first one is this. The posture of the kingdom is the posture of a servant. And we've already read the text. Okay, so let's just, let's just talk about, we already said there was a table there. Let's just talk about a couple of things. All right, you can answer the questions. Why were they in the room? What was being celebrated? Passover. Okay, and if you're unfamiliar with the Passover, it was a celebration that the Jewish people did every year in recognition of how God... Back in Exodus, saved their children if they put the blood of a lamb over their door during the time that they were in captivity. God passed over those houses. And so they would celebrate that every year and they would have this meal in remembrance of what God did for them. All right. And so on the table, there's probably just common things, common things on the table that, that would be at every Passover celebration. There would be unleavened bread. Uh, there would be wine on the table. There would be a dish on the table and it would have this mixture of like figs and dates and, and it would, you know, other fruit. Okay. And it would be really good and really sweet, except uh, there would also be like vinegar and this bitter spice that they would put in it. And they would, they would, they would eat it and then they would, they would have to get it down, you know, they have to swallow it. But in that process, it would remind them about the bitterness of death, but the beauty of hope that God had given them. And so at the table, there's these common things, and these guys have seen this their whole life, all right? There's no surprise here. But what we'll see is that there's always common things, but God's intention is to take common things and do glorious things in his story and for you. Right? And one of the things we see when he does that is this, and that's that Jesus serves everyone. All right? Jesus serves everyone. Okay, because who's at the table? 
We know what's at the table, but who's at the table? You guys tell me, who's at the table? The disciples, right? Who else is at the table? Judas, right? And of course, Jesus. So Jesus is there. He's with his disciples, right? His friends. But there's also an enemy at the table. An enemy of God is sitting at his table. That's a crazy thought to me. Because when you and I celebrate something, right, we're usually careful about who we ask to come to the celebration. I know this because I don't get invited out much. Okay? So we're usually careful about who we invite, right? Like we've got this kind of A list of people that we're going to target, okay? And if none of them can make it, then we'll move on down maybe to the B list, right? And at some point we'll get to pastoral staff at Faith Baptist Church. We'll throw them a bone and have them over for dinner or something. But I mean, that's what we do. We're inviting the people that we like, the people that we... And especially more so, Jesus knowing this is it, right? His last Passover... 24 hours before his death. And instead of saying, uh, no, you can't come. He sits at the table with his enemy. And that's because the story of God is the kind of story where Christ would sit at the table with his adversary. He's not a respecter of persons. He doesn't care. It wasn't his choice that Judas sold him out. It was Judas's choice. And God knew it was in his plan anyways. But if I was Jesus, I wouldn't have let him in the room and neither would you. I would have said, this is a place for friends. This is the last night of my life. This is when I want to celebrate with the people who I love and love me. You go and get out of here. I'll see you later in the garden. These are the guys I want to hang with tonight. But Jesus didn't do that. And then all of a sudden, everything changes. The tone changes. History is going to be rewritten. And there's going to be something different about the kingdom of God. Where God says he isn't afraid of his enemies. That he won't sit at the table with them. He doesn't shut the door on people. Because in their own heart. They intend to do him harm or they're evil. He's about to give his life for those people. He's about to shed his blood in a horrific death. For the enemies of God. That's the heart of a servant. He serves everyone. He's showing us there's a place where you reach a certain maturity in your walk with Christ where you realize and you understand that even your enemies work for God. You can spend a lot of time hating those people You can spend a lot of time fighting those people. You can spend a lot of time worried about those people. 
Or you can just say, God's in control. God is sovereign. God will do what God will do. And I think today when we look to serve the Lord, as we follow Jesus' example, we have to be careful about getting a place in our heart that won't serve certain people. They're too unclean. They're too dirty. They're too strung out. They're too dangerous. On and on the list goes. We have to be very, very careful because what Jesus has showed us is that our enemies work for God and He's willing to serve anyone. But I'll just remind you what it said in verse 2. It said, During supper, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hand and that He had come from God and was going back to God. Jesus understood what was going on. He understood that Judas was merely serving a purpose for God. And he would be going back to God at the end of the day. And while all this is going on, that clock is ticking down to four zeros. And he's going to die. And that's part of the reason that he was going to die was that Judas was going to betray him. Here's the kind of Second part of this idea that the posture of the kingdom is the posture of a servant. Serving is a high priority for Jesus. Serving is a high priority for Jesus. So what happened? What did Jesus want to leave with these guys? We already said the other gospels talked about the bread and the cup and his shed blood and communion. But what John tells us is this. Jesus on the last night of his life, surrounded by the people that he loved, with the last chance to communicate what was important to him, the last chance to share what was in his heart, and he wanted to show us something else. And so look what happened. Scripture said in verse 4 that Jesus rose from supper and laid aside his outer garment. And taking a towel... He tied it around his waist. Then he poured the water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So what's going on here? In those days, it was common that when you came into someone's home, that you would wash the dirt off your feet. Most people walked everywhere. Most people wore sandals. And in order to be polite and kind, at the door, usually a servant would wash the dirt off of your feet. You didn't want to bring that mess in the house. The second part of that was, it was also a way of welcoming people into your home. Saying, you are here, you're welcome here, and so... We're going to wash that dirt off of your feet and we're going to perform this act of kindness that welcomes you. And so Jesus goes around the table 
And I don't know why. Maybe there was no servant. Probably a borrowed room. I'm not sure. But for whatever reason, Jesus decides to wash their feet. And so he does. And then, of course, you heard in the scripture earlier, he gets to Peter, who doesn't get it. And he's like, no, no, don't wash my feet. All right. It's like, dude. I don't know if Jesus said dude, but it's like, don't you really get this? You don't tell Jesus what he is and isn't going to do. Because the clock is counting down to four zeros. And he's chosen to get up from the table and to go around the table and to wash his disciples' feet. Again, I put myself in that situation. And in the wickedness of my heart, my attitude is probably, I'm going to sit at this table. I'm going to enjoy this Passover. I'm 24 hours from, from going to the cross. And I'm just going to enjoy every bite. I'll ask one of these guys to get up. In fact, you know what I would have done? Because this is, this is me. I would have said, Judas, you wash everybody's feet. That's where I would have gone. It's my last Passover. You guys take care of me tonight. But he didn't. He got up. He took off his robe. He took the towel. And he's immediately saying to his disciples, I am a servant. I am a servant. Because that's what a servant would have done. Not the guy who invited you to dinner. And he washed their feet. Now, I can't imagine how awkward that would have been. How, how strange it would have felt in that room. And again, the tension is there, but the message is clear. Let this be a sign that God loves you. And he is for you. And he gave himself for you. And he got up at his last meal for you. And so as that clock counts down, the thing I want to make sure that you remember... Jesus said, is that I got up from the table and I took off my robe and I took the towel of the servant and I washed your feet. And you're like, well, certainly in the last few hours of your life, you could think of something better to do than that. Something more important. In fact, if you remember back in John 2, John describes Jesus as one whose sandals he's not even worthy to untie. And now at the end of his life, Jesus has turned the tables on them and they've taken their sandals off and he's washing their feet. And he washes Judas' feet. I mean, think about it. It's one thing to have the enemy at your table, but on the last night of his life, Jesus washed his enemy's feet. And what I want to leave with you in that is this picture of what Jesus is saying. Put your robe aside. Wash each other's feet. Maybe not literally, like we saw. Although, some churches do that. Serve each other. 
Put aside your pride. Put aside yourself and serve one another. And that's what gives us so much meaning. I want to remind you of Paul's words in Philippians chapter 2. Here's what Paul said. Because understanding what Jesus did gives these words tremendous meaning. He said, have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. You see, that's what he did. Notice in scripture it said the first thing he did was he took his robe off, right? And that's another kind of really important factor because in those days people didn't have a lot of clothes. Most people, the average person. And they often carried what they had or, or for, certainly for Jesus and his men, they were traveling around. They had what they had. And your robe was something that you would have invested a little bit more in. And it's something that you would have worn every day. And it's something that you would have been identified by. It would have very much become a part of you. That's how you would know somebody maybe from the side or behind. Your robe became your identity. It was a piece of yourself. And when Jesus took his robe off, he was saying to those guys, I'm setting myself aside. And if you want to be the first in the kingdom, then wash someone's feet. If you want to be the first in the kingdom, take your robe off. Take the position of a servant, the posture of a servant. Use those gifts that God has given you. Teach that children's class. Take food to those people that you know are struggling and they're having a hard time. Offer to give pastor a night out, keep his kids and send him off somewhere with his wife. Sit on that board you've been asked to serve on. Commit to work VBS for the summer. Whatever it is. The beauty of the body of Christ is there is seemingly an infinite number of ways that we can serve one another. The question is, do you have the heart to do it? Because when we serve, that's when the kingdom of God starts to come alive in our hearts. So then the second main idea is this idea that the posture of the kingdom is also the posture of receiving. The posture of the kingdom is the posture of receiving. And you know, a lot of us struggle with this. It it was probably hard for Dan to sit up here a little while ago, right? I I think everybody in the room who saw that little scenario um, portrayed for us would say, I want to be the guy who's washing the feet, right? We don't like the thought of being on the receiving end sometime of people serving us. We're kind of like Peter was in that upper room. Okay, you're not going to wash my feet, Jesus. And then, of course, Jesus had to lovingly rebuke him because it's, it's humbling to be served. But it's such a beautiful part of the design of God for his people. Can you imagine? The disciples could always tell this story. 
they could always for the rest of their life say on the last night of his life, Jesus washed my feet. Imagine if he said to Peter, okay, have it your way. I'll just move on to the next guy. And at the end of the day, Peter would have said, Jesus washed everybody's feet but mine. What was I thinking? The posture of the kingdom is the posture of receiving. Let people love you well. Let them meet your needs. God's designed us to do that for one another. Let them invest in you. Receive it with a grateful heart. The posture of the kingdom. It's when Jesus stops in front of you with his robe off and his towel on and his basin of water. And he says, it's your turn to be welcomed home. It's your turn for me to wash the dirt off. It's your turn for the Son of God to kneel before you and to value you and to love you and to serve you and to honor you. And it's okay to say it's okay. I'm not worthy to unlace your shoes, but it's okay. I'll let you do that, Jesus. It's hard. It's hard to be that person. But it is the way God designed On the last night of his life, with 24 hours or so to go, Jesus made a statement to his disciples and for believers for all eternity and all throughout history, serve one another. How do we know that God treasures service? We know because above all else, Jesus chose to serve people on the last night of his life. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray that at Faith Baptist Church we will be servants to one another. Lord, I pray that in that service even we would not allow ourselves to become proud. That we would not allow ourselves to desire control or hunger or for power in any way. I pray that you would rise up within us a church body that loves one another and values one another and serves one another, Lord, that cares deeply. And in doing so, Father, we tell the world around us that Jesus changes everything. And a relationship with you changes everything. It becomes more palatable, more attractive, more desirable. It's, a, it's an awesome testimony. And Lord, help us to be those people. Father, thank you that we can gather in your name this morning. And it's in that name that we pray. Amen.